So I'm going to send out neighbor letters saying, hey, here's your opportunity. Protect your privacy, protect your views, know your neighbor. Oftentimes the neighbors will buy that 20 acre parcel. So the way that I'm going to sell it is I'm going to make it irresistible. I'm going to make it a car payment. I'm going to ask for a $2,500 down payment. So I want to get my money out on the down. I might go six to 10 months out. And then I just make it a car payment. Let's say $449 a month, 9% interest over the next 84 months. So I've got this one-time sale, and then I get my capital out pretty quickly. And then I've got this passive income stream of $449 a month every single month for the next 84 months, no renters, no rehabs, no renovations, no rodents. And Sean, because I'm not dealing with a tenant, I'm exempt from Dodd-Frank, RESPA, and the SAFE Act. So the game that we play is can we create enough of these land notes where our passive income exceeds our fixed expenses, and now we're working because we want to, not because we have to. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to episode 219 of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. In this episode, we have Mark Podolsky with The Land Geek, who will tell us how to get into land investing and how you can use his strategies to easily create another passive income stream. And from my talk with Mark, I learned that the beauty of buying land is that you can easily buy properties for pennies on the dollar because people generally don't want their raw land. You can then take that property and then sell it on Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace, or even to neighbors. And instead of selling them directly for cash, you can sell them using seller financing so that every property you sell gives you another stream of passive income. If you guys enjoy this podcast, do me a quick favor and leave a review on the podcast app, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the show. It'll help me out a lot and it'll help others discover the podcast to learn more about real estate investing as well. And this real estate market is still incredibly hot. So if you're looking for a hard money loan for your fix and flip projects, or if you're looking for a 30-year fixed loan for your rental properties, you can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Let me know that you're a podcast listener and I'll give you a discount on our processing fees. And now on to the show. Mark, thank you so much for being on our show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do. Sure, Sean. Thank you so much for having me. I am the land geek and I'm a professional land investor. So I've been buying and selling raw undeveloped land since 2001. So about 20 years now. And the way that I do it is a little bit unique in the way because I make it actually cash flow. And Sean, if you want, I can actually walk you step by step exactly what I do through the model. Let's do that. Uh, Before you do, can you tell us how you even got into raw undeveloped land? Because it seems like such a unique strategy, whereas most people start by buying single family properties. Yeah. So, you know, we're going to rewind the tape to 2000. And I was a overworked, micromanaged, stressed out. I had a 45 minute commute and back. And it got so bad for me that I wouldn't get the Sunday blues anticipating Monday coming around. I'd get the Friday blues anticipating the weekend going by really fast and having to be back at work on Monday. So my firm hires this guy, and he's telling me that as a side hustle, he's buying up raw land, pennies on the dollar, and he's flipping them online, and he's making a 
300% return on his investment. Well, Sean, I'm looking at companies all day long. In a great company, great companies, 15% EBITDA margins or free cash flow. Average companies, 10%. And I'm looking at companies all day long, less than 10%. So of course, I don't believe him. So I've got three grand saved up for car repairs. I go to New Mexico with him. I do exactly what he says to do. I buy up 10 half acre parcels at an average price of $300 each. I sell them all online and they all sell for an average price of $1,200 each, 300% it worked. So I took all that money. I went to another auction where I live in, in Arizona. Again, it's 2000. There's no one in the room and I'm buying up lots and I'm buying up acreage for pennies on the dollar for nothing. And over the next six months, I sold all that land and I made over $90,000 cash. So I go to my wife and she's pregnant at the time. I said, honey, I'm going to quit my job, become a full-time land investor. And she's like, absolutely not. So it's, uh, okay, okay. So it took me about 18 months for the land investing income to exceed the investment banking income. And then I quit and I've been doing it full-time ever since. I've done over 6,000 transactions to date and I absolutely love it. That's amazing. How are you even able to sell the properties in the first place? Like you said, you went there, there was no other investors in the room bidding against you. You were able to buy these lands for pennies on the dollar. How do you offload them? So I basically would go to a little website you probably at that time have never heard of. It's called eBay. And I would auction them off for cash. And they would sell within, you know, seven, 10 day auction. Today, we don't use eBay for our marketing. And if you want, I can walk you through exactly, you know, what our favorite marketing platforms are today. But when I first started, that's how I sold the property. It was just on eBay. That's crazy. That's crazy to think that you could sell land on eBay. I didn't even know that's a thing. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. So then it went from eBay to like bidforassets.com. And then as I evolved, it got more and more sophisticated with, with selling. And same thing with the platforms. Yeah. So go ahead and tell us the entire process. Like how do you go about acquiring the property, evaluating it, and you know, buying it, selling it, et cetera? Okay. So Sean, where do you live? I live in the Bay Area. Okay, so I'm going to assume that you own 20 acres of raw land in Texas. So, And you owe $200 in back taxes. So essentially, you're advertising two important things to me. Number one, you're in San Francisco, properties in Texas. You have no emotional attachment to that raw land. And number two, you're distressed financially in some weird way because you haven't paid your property taxes. And we don't pay for things. We don't value them in the same way. And as a result, the county treasurer keeps sending you notices every single month saying, Sean, you don't pay your property taxes. You're going to lose this 20-acre parcel to a tax deed or a tax lien investor. So what all I'm going to do is look at the last 12 to 18 months of comparable sales on your 20-acre parcel. I'm going to take the lowest comparable sale, and I'm going to divide by four. And that's going to get me what Warren Buffett would call a 300% margin of safety. So let's say, for example, the lowest comparable sale is $10,000 on this 20-acre parcel that you own. I'm going to send you an actual offer in the mail of $2,500, okay? So now you accept it because for you, you know, $2,500 is better than nothing. Now, in reality, 3 to 5% of people accept my quote-unquote top dollar offer. Now, once you accept it, I have to go through due diligence or in-depth research and we outsource that to our team in the Philippines. They're connected to an American title company. So what do we have to look for? We've got to make sure you still own the property. We have to make sure that the back taxes are only $200. We 
We have to make sure that there's been no breaks in the chain of title. We have to make sure there's been there's no liens or encumbrances on the title, clouding title. We have to find out what's compelling about the property. We want to see aerial maps, plat maps, GIS maps, everything that a buyer's going to want to know, we want to know. We want somebody to go out there and stomp on the property. I might have do a local Craigslist gig, and for 50 bucks, somebody fill out my property report. What are the neighbors doing? What are the roads like? How far from the nearest hospital, the Walmart, McDonald's? What's near about the property? Streams, mountains, all those types of things. And so we get all this information. Everything checks out. Now we buy the property from you for $2,500. Now I'm going to sell the property 30 days or less. Now, let me just go back on due diligence. Because I'm only paying $2,500, I'm going to do my own title search, okay, with my team. But if it's over $5,000, I'm going to go through American Title Company. I'm not going to take the risk. Or I might hire an abstractor and I might save a little bit of money. Because the title companies just hire the abstractors anyways. So now I send you a check for $2,500. I'm going to sell the property three days or less. So, Sean, I have a built-in best buyer. Do you know who it is? I have no idea. The neighbors. So I'm going to send out neighbor letters saying, hey, here's your opportunity. Protect your privacy. Protect your views. Know your neighbor. Oftentimes, the neighbors will buy that 20-acre parcel. If they pass, I'm going to go to my buyer's list. My buyer's list passes. I'll go to a little website you may have never heard of called Craigslist. It's the 10th most trafficked website in the United States. I'll go to an even smaller one. Sean, I know you've heard of this one, especially being in the Bay. It's called Facebook. Buy, sell groups, the marketplace. And then I'll go to the lands, landmoto.com, landsofamerica.com, landflip.com, landhub.com, landandfarm.com, all these platforms where people buy and sell raw land. So the way that I'm going to sell it is going to make it irresistible. I'm going to make it a car payment. I'm going to ask for a $2,500 down payment. So I want to get my money out on the down. I might go six to 10 months out. And then I'm just going to get a car payment. Let's say $449 a month. 9% interest over the next 84 months. So I've got this one-time sale, and then I get my capital out pretty quickly. And then I've got this passive income stream of $449 a month every single month for the next 84 months. No renters, no rehabs, no renovations, no rodents. And Sean, because I'm not dealing with a tenant, I'm exempt from Dodd-Frank, RESPA, and the SAFE Act. All this onerous real estate legislation. So the game that we play is can we create enough of these land notes where our passive income exceeds our fixed expenses and now we're working because we want to, not because we have to. Interesting strategy. So basically you're combining you know, buying and selling raw land with the seller financing strategy of having notes. Exactly. But the intrinsic piece of the raw land, because no one's calling me in the middle of the night saying my land is leaking. So I'm eliminating all the headaches of a landlord and getting all the benefits of a passive income stream, essentially. Very interesting. So just to go back, in the very beginning, you are finding these sellers by, I guess, going through tax lists and seeing who is being late on their property taxes? Exactly. So we can get that list either from the county treasurer or the county assessor. So our lowest hanging fruit are going to be people that live out of state and owe back taxes. Once we determine a very good market there, then we'll just mail everybody. We don't really care at that point. But in the very beginning, that's going to be our lowest hanging fruit. Got it. And then how are you finding comparable prices? Like, is that listed publicly? That is public information. Absolutely. So you can reverse engineer it on like a landmoto.com 
or you can just contact the county assessor and just see the public information. Interesting. And then I guess for your mailers, are you sending them mail directly and telling them, hey, I'll offer you this much money in the first contact? Or is it like, hey, contact me and I'll give you an offer and uh, we'll determine it through there? No, no, no. We're sending out offers from day one. And we use a software that we created called LG Pass, the Land Geek proprietary automated software solution. So all we do is we upload the CSV list into the software. We have an API with lob.com, which is a mailing house, and they do address verification. So the mail goes out automatically. When it comes back, you just go through the steps within the software. Because we don't want to do due diligence on a huge list of 3,000 names. So essentially, once we get that list, we're going to scrub that list by use code. Let's say VL for vacant land. So now we just have vacant land. We're going to do one more scrub by assessor parcel number, so neighborhood and acreage. Because if I send somebody the same offer of 40 acres as five acres, that 40 acre person is gonna send me back glitter in the mail. So we don't wanna do that either. Interesting. Yeah, it seems like a pretty complicated process. Like how long did it take you to create all these systems? Well, I was, I'm a slow learner, Sean. So it took me a while. I wanna say like five years of struggling to really make it a business. So the whole idea being that Right now, I work about an hour a week in Frontier Properties, but I want to be working on the business. So essentially, we're 90% automated now with software, inexpensive virtual assistants, and then software on the back end called geekpay.io that actually manages the notes. And so we have automated, it's a set it and forget it system, getting the down payment and then getting those monthly payments every single month via ACH or checking account. But if the ACH fails then it'll hit their credit card on file as a backup. And so that lowers our default rate. And then it also makes it easier because then borrowers can log in, make a prepayment, see their current balance and not bug me like they used to. Like, hey, you know, can I do all this stuff? So it's a way better system. Yeah, most definitely. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges of having a lot of notes out there. And if you're like a small scale investor and you're just thinking a lot of like seller financing, it is hard to keep track of whoever needs to pay you every single month. So it's great that you have that system out there already. Oh yeah, no, it's great. Yeah. What would you say is like a tip for someone who wants to get started in this business? I would say get educated and start learning. So there's tons of free information out there. It's everywhere. So you can go to my website, you can go on YouTube. There's just tons and tons of information on how to get started on this process. And what would you say are some of the risks or pitfalls that you need to watch out for if you're just getting started? The biggest risk is buying in an area that has a Superfund site. So you have to go to epa.gov and see where those Superfund sites are. So for example, if you're looking in Pennsylvania or you know any of the, like New Jersey, for example, and you buy a piece of property that has some type of industrial waste on it, you're taking on that liability. That could be millions and millions of dollars of cleanup. Now, once you get educated and you, you learn, like I only buy in the Southwest, California, a little bit in the Northwest and Florida. So I avoid all those areas anyways, because let's face it, nobody wakes up and thinks to themselves, boy, I'd like some raw land in New Jersey today, unless you live in New Jersey. So we want to focus on those fast growing states, the sunshine states, and they have you know an abundance of inexpensive raw land. Can you talk a little bit more about what super funds are? So a super fund is an area that the Environmental Protection Agency says this is going to cost millions of dollars to clean up. You, Mr. Manufacturing Company, have literally polluted the raw land. 
and need to clean it up. And the manufacturing company might try to sell that land and move that liability to a new owner. I see. And how would you determine if it's a Superfund area or not? You go to epa.gov and they show you all the Superfund sites. I see. So I guess a part of your due diligence process is to type in an address into EPA to make sure that's not in that list. Yeah. In the beginning. I mean, again, you'll see like there are certain states, there's no Superfund sites. So that then your second biggest risk is overpaying. So we want to buy, a, you know, we want to make our money on the buy, 25, 30 cents of the dollar. And so which in the beginning, there's this new disease out there called the gotta have landitis. And people, you know, just overpay sometimes. And that's not good either. And what do you ever do if you get stuck with a piece of property? It's a really good question. So this is a conversation I actually have with my wife because I'm using $3,000 of our money that I had set aside for car repairs. And she's like, what if you can't sell the property? So I thought to myself, well, okay, what's the worst case scenario? I own raw land. I don't have to, you know, fill up the garage with a bunch of stuff. It's just a piece of paper. And so I thought, well, the worst case is I could just barter it. Maybe I'd get free haircuts for the next three years or free dentistry or whatever it is. So the reality is I've done this thousands of times now. Guess how many times I've been stuck with a piece of raw land I couldn't sell? I'm going to guess zero. There's a lust for land in this country. So as long as you make it irresistible and you make it easy for them to buy, they all sell. So like, who are your typical buyers? So my typical buyers are going to be people that, you know, like recreational land. They want to camp. They want to hunt. They want to, they're legacy investors. They just want to own an asset that they didn't think they could ever afford. So oftentimes people will just kind of hear growing up, oh yeah, you should own raw land. And then they can use it any way they want. A lot of military people like raw land. People that don't like other people like raw land. They just want to kind of get away from it all. So, you know, you're, you're looking at, you know, sort of tapping into this market of people that are living in urban areas, but they long for this idea of a more rural setting. And here's their opportunity to own it and then use it when they want to use it. And they don't have to use it and provide this generational asset because let's face it, raw land is the only thing that lasts, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, so they're not like planning on developing Right. It's probably like a place to just hang out when they want to camp, maybe hunt on the land if there's stuff there to do. Correct. Correct. We're, yeah, we're not buying, you know, that's a whole different model is essentially going through the development process, getting it shovel ready for a developer. That's a lot of risk. So we don't really you know, look for those types of properties. These are properties that are, you know, eventually maybe going to be into the development stage, but initially they're not. They're very inexpensive. Yeah. So my girlfriend was interested in looking at buying like raw land and then I guess Airbnb it out because the best people are doing that nowadays because of COVID, they need a way to get out. Yeah, you could do Hip Camp. There's a great website called Hip Camp. You could, you know, let them Airbnb out there, the raw land and use it for a campsite for sure. Yeah. I'm surprised. Have you ever considered doing something like that where you rent out some of your land to people who want to hang out? I have, you know, it's just I haven't done it because I haven't needed to do it necessarily, but I'm sure I'd, I'd be open to it. But, you know, typically they're going to get maybe 30 bucks, 40 bucks. You got to have somebody clean it up, check it out. I like the simplicity of selling it on a note, getting that passive income. If they default, I get another down, I get another borrower and just kind of goes on. 
and our returns on owner financing are you know, the average 700 to 1,000% with no management headaches. So for me personally, because I'm so ambitiously lazy, that just fits better for me. To add one more layer of it doesn't necessarily appeal to me personally, but I'm not saying that it's not a good strategy. It could be great. Mm -hmm. And what would you say you're spending on marketing nowadays? So all our marketing is done on platforms. So we let the platform spend the money on bringing traffic. So for example, you didn't hear me say, I drive traffic to my website and sell property on my website. So again, it's going to be the buyer's list. It's going to be Craigslist, Facebook, and the lands. So now the lands are going to be subscriptions. So you could end up spending $100 to $500 a month on those types of platforms if you want it, but you don't necessarily have to. Yeah, but, but I would say marketing costs for us because the volume we're doing is under 1000 a month. That's pretty good. I mean, I know a lot of investors here locally who are spending like $30,000 a month and they're, you know, they're trying to do big, big volume, big traffic, but still it's like, it's a lot of money. Yeah. When it's all said and done, our average client between the virtual assistants and software spends a thousand to $1,500 a month on their business. Now I personally do a lot more than that just because of the size and the volume that I do, but for people getting into this, that's typical. It's a real lean operation. You don't, you know, can work out of your house, work from anywhere in the world. All you need is an internet connection and an inexpensive laptop. So what does a project look like for someone who's just getting started? Like, what do they do and how do they get their first deal? So they got to get a list and then they got to scrub the list and then they got to price the list and then they got to mail out to those owners. When those owners come back, they've got to go through their due diligence. Once they go through their due diligence, they have to close with their seller. After they close with their seller, they got to send out the neighbor letters. Then they need to go through the marketing channels. And then they need to close, get that down payment, and then create a note. So we provide all of that in our training, all the contracts that they would need, everything they need. It's kind of, you know, all set up so that they don't have to go through the brain damage of what do I have to do? I mean, there's 3,007 U.S. counties. Where do I start? So we provide a secret counties list. Here are the best counties to go to. Here's county research. So for the purposes of this podcast, you know, it's, again, you want to get properly trained on how to do this or how to do anything, essentially. But if you can smart cut it and learn from somebody who's already done it thousands of times, you might as well do it. Do you want to talk about your program and how to get you know part of it? I have a free course. So if you go to landgeek.com forward slash quick deals, it's normally $97, but for your listeners, I'll give it to them for free. And teaches them how to double their money 30 days or less. And just see, does this model even resonate with me? And if it does, great. You can go deeper into training. And, and if not, then you move on. And I guess after that training, there is like a, a, a go forward path. It's like a next step. Yeah, absolutely. Then there's you know all types of different paths that they can take depending on the kind of person they are. Everything from do-it-yourself to one-on-one coaching. Gotcha. And what would you say are like the typical criteria or I guess the uh, character traits of people who have been successful with your program. There's really only one character trait that separates everyone else and it's grit. That's it. There's a great quote by Zig Ziglar. If you'll do for the next three to five years, what other people won't do, you'll be able to do for the rest of your life, what other people can't do. But he didn't say if you'll do for the rest of your life, what other people won't do for the next one to two weeks, right? It's three to five years. Those three to five years are coming regardless. 
will your passive income exceed your fixed expenses or won't they? Right. So you have to kind of sort of dedicate yourself to doing that. And if you do stick with it, you can't fail. What are some of the challenges that you think people more are going to have when they're first getting started that requires that grit to continue? Well, oftentimes the first challenge is just getting a list. You know, sometimes the county treasurer will say, oh, we don't have that list. Or the assessor said, we don't have that list. And so trying to figure out, well, there must be a list because if Mark's doing it, then that information must be out there. So problem solving in the very beginning, sort of this expectation of being really good at something when you haven't done it is also sort of a difficult mental transition as well. So just embracing the suck of all these things that are going to get you out of your comfort zone. Maybe you've never done county research. Maybe you've never priced a list. Maybe you've never gotten on the, on the phone and had to talk to a seller about their land and answer questions about, you know, why is this offer that or even negotiating? You know, this offer seems low and having these sort of uncomfortable conversations that you're not used to. But just like anything, once you get your reps in, then you start becoming more competent. Next thing you know, you've really moved the needle in your life. Got it. So in the very beginning, it could be uncomfortable for people who aren't used to having these conversations or doing this kind of research, or maybe even taking the time to do the work they need to do, especially if they have like a very busy full-time job. Absolutely. I mean, a good example is uh, Roberto Chavez. So a full-time attorney started doing this as a side hustle. And two years later, he's at over 20000 a month passive. But in the beginning, he was very frustrated, exhausted, you know, working 40 hours a week, having to work on the billing of pressure, uh, the, the pressure of billing as an attorney, and then coming home and in the mornings at nights, working in his land business, you know, two, three hours a day until he got his virtual assistant team built. And now he's able to he cut back on being a full-time attorney. Now he works three days a week. And now he's at that point where he's replaced his income and he can quit or not quit if he wants. So I think one of the big things is setting up a team, right? So you don't have to do it all yourself. You can automate a lot of this process. Let's say you had a team. What would you have them be doing on a daily basis? So everything, essentially. The only things that really make you money in this business are county research and selling. So those are the last two things I outsource. Every other aspect of the business should be outsourced to an inexpensive virtual assistant or use a software. So eventually you just replace all yourself and that's a business, right? You don't want to create another job for yourself. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So if I were to just get started right now, I guess myself or I could train someone else to look up the different counties and to scrub lists because you can do that from anywhere and then take that list, uh, maybe send out mailers to these people, or I guess you can even have them do comps for you, right? If you can train them well. Yeah, absolutely. And we already have trained virtual assistants that understand the model. So you can go to a, a service like landva4u.com and it's just, you can just hire someone who's already been pre-trained. So there's, there's people out there that there's expensive virtual assistants already out there that know this business and you can just tap into that pre-trained person. So you don't have to even train them yourself. Nice. And then when you send them the letters, are you having them call you or email you or how are they getting in contact with you? Yeah. So they're going to either go to a buying website. Let's say it's like it's a white labeled site that's connected to our software where they could accept the offer or they just mail back the offer. But we don't want to be on the phone with them if we can avoid it. Yeah. Because again, you know, we can always make more money. We can't get more time. So that's why we don't send out blind offers. So a lot of people, you know, if you really want to increase your 
response rate, you can say, I'm interested in buying your land. They're like, I'm interested in selling my land. Now you're in, you know, you're immediately in a negotiation. That's why we come out of the gate with that 25 cents on the dollar offer. So we're getting the most motivated sellers. Do you ever get any like hate mail or nasty comments for saying such a small offer? And I love it. You know, if I'm not getting nasty voicemails or, you know, hate mail back, I'm not working hard enough. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Maybe you offer too much in the beginning, right? Well, yeah. So, you know, if it's under 3% of a response rate, you know, you're, you came out way too low, but if it's over 5%, I get nervous and I have to retrade and maybe renegotiate that offer when it comes back because like, wait, something's wrong here. I might've come out too high. So depending on what kind of person you are, if you're comfortable renegotiating, you can go out a little higher. But if you don't want to talk to anybody and you just want motivated sellers, you come out a little lower. Yeah, that's actually what I thought was really great about the open door model. So instead of having just a blind postcard to everybody and then negotiating over the phone, open door just tells you how much your house is worth and then you can accept or refuse right there on the website. Yeah, exactly. They're they're cutting right to the chase. Yeah. And is there a reason why you prefer the like seller financing model instead of just selling it outright? Yeah. So let's say we sell it outright. We get cash, which is great. Then we have to pay taxes. And what do we have to do now once we get all that cash? Reinvest it. Reinvest it. Right. So I would rather not have the hustle of constantly having to reinvest and work on velocity of money and turning my money over seven times. If I can just, you know, sell it once and get that passive income stream every single month. I still own the underlying asset. There's no cost of foreclosure because we don't use deeds of trust. We use a land contract. So essentially that property stays in my name until they pay off the promissory note. And then we convey ownership once that's done. So it works really simply. Is that a special like property that only land has where you can do that? Or is that for any like piece of real estate? You could technically do it for any piece of real estate. You know, once you get into these larger transactions, people are going to want a deed of trust because that's more conventional. For raw land, you could do it. We do it all the time because again, there's, it's not like someone's going to live there essentially. But if you're, you're going, you know, if you're spending a hundred to $500,000 on a home or some other investment, you want a deed of trust. You don't want a land contract. Gotcha. And you were mentioning earlier too, that you don't even use a title company when you close on these because the purchase price is just too low. Is that right? Yeah, I can take a little bit. Yeah, because I trust my team in the Philippines. They're connected to an American title company. I can take a little bit of risk. I don't want to take any risk and I'm closer to an American title company. Mm, got it. Cool. Well, yeah, this has been a very interesting podcast. You know, I've definitely heard a lot of new things today. Do you think there's anything else that our listeners should know before we finish up? It's, uh, it's a huge market. There's no one doing it. It's the least sexy. It's the most geeky thing out there. We just shuffle paper and make money. But what I love about it is that you know, there's billions of acres for sale. There's a huge lust for land in this country, but it's a very inefficient model. And there's no big players. There's no hedge funds. There's no private equity groups. And, you know, you could have a million people doing this business. And you, me, a million other people, we're all going to run out of money before we run out of deal flow. It's just that big of a market. Yeah, that seems like a really un great and untapped market and a good opportunity for people who want to try something new. Yeah, no, Absolutely. All right, Mark, well, this has been a very fun and interesting conversation. How can people get in contact with you? I think the best way is just go to thelandgeek.com, thelandgeek.com, and get started there. Perfect. Well, Mark, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Sean. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, 
Join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everything REI. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.